Alright, let's just start rambling. Why not? Let's do another one, huh? Same format. Same old thing. I know I thought I would have a great interview podcast. Hard-hitting interviews with interesting, fascinating people. Nope. As long as this is my setup, me in the corner of my room alone with my microphone, I'm not going to have just five inches of space between me and the guest. I got to get two microphones. Got to get a real setup. This will be the original setup. When this podcast becomes something huge, and I'm talking about huge like two microphones, then we will all remember these days fondly. You remember the origin of that podcast? Here we go. Before it became corporate, before it became mainstream, censored by the FCC, before all of the endorsers really started to alter the sound of the Here We Go podcast. You remember that old gritty grassroots effort from old Josh Rosenberg talking in the third person? Man, he is really sold out. He's really changed. So that'll be the future. But we're still in the good old days portion of the podcast. These are the good old days. That was one of the most brilliant things that Jim Halpert ever said on The Office. John Krasinski, who apparently is still having a nice career, although I have not seen any of his movies. If you think of that Office cast, who's still doing anything? Stanley, haven't seen him. Phyllis, haven't seen her. Angela, no clue. Oscar, I think I saw him in an ad once. Dwight, he's not doing much, right? Rain Wilson, I guess he was hot, hot, hot for a little bit. Now he's not doing much. BJ Novak, haven't seen him. Kelly, no clue. Ellie Kemper, now she's doing some things. Jenna Fisher, I guess she's still doing the sitcom world. Steve Carell, obviously a superstar. But Jim Halpert, played by John Krasinski, he said in an episode of The Office, you know, the only problem with saying the good old days is that you never actually know when you're in the midst of the good old days. Or he said it in a way that gave me chills. That was the interesting part about The Office. It had a soul. It was really funny, but it also had a soul. It brought out the emotions within me. Yeah, he said, I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days when you're having the good old days. A lot of the older guys were telling me about the good old days. You know, back in the day, we used to just drink in the studio and smoke cigarettes. And there was sex. There was drugs. Oh, there was rock and roll. A lot of people in radio like to romanticize how it used to be, which is fun. I even started doing that after 10 years in my career when I noticed it was becoming the social media world, the interactive digital tweet, tweet, tweet world, which I found to be less fun than just classic call-in sports talk radio. But I digress. The good old days. I think what Jim was saying is we do experience them, but when we're in the middle of them, we don't really identify them as the good old days. Although in a weird way right now in my teaching career, it feels like the good old days. Like I do feel like in 10, 15, 20 years, I might look back on this portion of my teaching career and go, yeah, those were the good old days. I've got some good coworkers, some people my age, some like-minded folks that I currently work with. It's nice. Where are our paths going? I don't know. Probably in a bunch of different directions, such as life. But right now, perhaps it's the good old days. And for this podcast, yeah, let's call it the good old days before I sell out. For that corporate cash, you know it's coming. And that last sentence of mine is brought to you by A&W. Get on down to A&W for a root beer float. All right, get to the point, right? Get to the point. What's your point today, huh? How about this topic? Decluttering. 
Decluttering your home, decluttering your life. This is all of a sudden a guided meditation podcast. Decluttering your soul. No, but I'm not talking about hoarders. Hoarders are different. They have a real problem. Hoarders are the type of people who can't walk by anything free. They have to take it, even if they don't need it. A koozie, a keychain, a brochure, a pamphlet, a newspaper, a Twinkie, a bottled water, a whistle, a straw, packets of ketchup, t-shirts of a 1990s talk show, hats that don't fit anybody. Hoarders take all of this. They take all of this. They bring it home and they just stuff it. They just stuff it into a box and then they stuff that box into a closet. And then that closet is organized in a way that if you open the door, you are at risk of being knocked out by a tchotchke or a souvenir or a giveaway. Hoarders have issues. But clutter, clutter happens to everybody. Clutter is just an accumulation of things over time. So I know it sounds similar to hoarding, but it's different. Right now, we all, everybody listening right now, We all have a pile of something on a desk, on a table. You know, it's probably bills, maybe a magazine, perhaps a love letter. But once you go through it, you just discard, discard, discard. So my decluttering journey was not even where I live. But my mom, who's been in her house since the late 70s in Pleasantville, California, she had some new carpets put in, so they were rearranging some furniture. And it's always just a healthy thing to say, let's get rid of the junk. In my bedroom that I grew up in, hey, remember the 80s. My bedroom slowly has been decluttered, but I've still shoved enough into desks and drawers and cabinets where there's a lot of me in there. And I haven't lived there since 1999, had another stint in 2013, but hey, we don't need to talk about that. Come on, this isn't about me. So truly haven't lived, lived there since 1999. And you think about all the things that I had accumulated, I came back. And I was saying, sure, I'll help you out. I'll help you out. I guess I'll help you. But once you get started, it's tough. Photos, even if it's a meaningless photo, it's tough to throw photos away. Not like you're ever going to need to look at the photos, but still, those are tough to throw away. I had a bunch of old homework assignments from elementary school, middle school, high school. You could throw that away. All the report cards, you could throw that away. I actually did have some letters, pen pal letters. I had pen pals. I guess you can't throw that away. Come on, right? But I also had a bunch of things that when I was a kid, I said, these are going to be worth something someday. We've all said that about something that won't be worth shit any day. We've all said that. Oh, this will be worth something someday. And my mom's not a hoarder, but she has the type of clutter that's like shoeboxes filled with cassettes, like seashells, magnets, business cards, coupons. You know, it's all in one shoebox. Coasters, magnets, more seashells, perhaps more cassettes, batteries. Are these new? Are these old? Why Why just floating batteries? A golf ball, Hello Kitty stickers, all in a shoebox. What shoebox? Maybe Fila, maybe Asics, you know, brands that you really don't see that much, but they used to exist. So there's a few of those in every room. Those I could just throw right in the trash. Boom. So I'm a good declutterer. I think I'm talented. I try not to have too much of an attachment, emotional attachment to anything, except for the stuff when I was a kid. I said, this will be worth something. So 
We were throwing a whole piece of furniture away. It's like a tower with shelves and cabinets. And I turned one of the shelves into what I called the Hall of Fame. It's like a big shelf. And I said, this is where I'm going to put every ticket to every sporting event I ever go to and every autograph I get and all of my starting lineups, figurines. If you don't know what starting lineups are, those are basically dolls for sports fans. And if I kept those in the packages, like Steve Carell did in The 40-Year-Old Virgin, perhaps I'd be rich. But who's buying those, right? I always thought these are collector's items, but who's doing the collecting anymore? I don't know. Maybe somebody. Tons of basketball cards, baseball cards, football cards, and I mean good cards that I tried to keep in mint condition. And what was it, Beckett? Is that the magazine that told you what they're priced? Yeah, Beckett made me think that I was going to retire early because who wouldn't want a Reggie Jackson rookie card or I had a Rick Barry rookie card? Plenty of Joe Montana, Jerry Rice's as well. So just saving and saving and saving this stuff in boxes. And it was time. It was time to finally organize it, part ways with it, or just rearrange it to make it look like it's not clutter. That's also a way to declutter. Just rearrange things. Find a different area of the garage. You know, it's like when you're eating food that's not really good. You kind of do the old scrape to one side of the plate method. We've all done it. Scrape to one side of the plate. Make it look like you ate more than you did. All right, so I'm searching my bedroom. And I actually found some things from high school that I should not have owned. That's a mystery, right? What did you find, Josh? Text me. I'll tell you. I I probably shouldn't say on this podcast. But oh yeah, I found some things in the nooks and the crannies that I was thankful my mom didn't find. I'm 37. All of a sudden, though, I was hiding things again. Oh no. Can't see this, can't see that, but I went deeper. And you know what I found? Grass from the Oakland Coliseum, 1990 A's game, where they let the fans on the field for fireworks afterwards. And all I did was just stuff my pockets with grass. I felt like that's a collector's item. I bet there are some other people listening that have done that. If you've ever been on the field of a professional stadium, you took some grass and you tell people, guess where this is from? Oh yeah, the Oakland Coliseum. And that's when the A's were amazing, 1990. But still, I found that grass this week in one of my shelves. What does it look like? Old grass. Definitely not a collector's item. So I tossed that. Bunch of autographs. Johnny Bench, Barkley, Jason Kidd, Dan Marino, Oscar De La Hoya, Mario Lemieux. Most of these autographs either come from Warriors games, not just the players, but the celebrities around the court. I used to get those autographs when I was 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, and the annual trip to the Tahoe Celebrity Golf Tournament. My dad used to take us when we were 13, 14, 15. My group of friends, we would just hang out at Edgewood, South Lake Tahoe, way too young to be in casinos, but we would still walk around the casinos. I remember seeing Bill Lambeer and Emmett Smith and Jesse the Body Ventura just throwing craps. These memories sit in my brain. I can't tell you what I had for breakfast. I can't even tell you what I did yesterday. But I can picture Bill Lambeer of the Pistons next to Emmett Smith and Jesse Ventura just tossing the dice at Harvey's and then scoping them out later to get that autograph. The concept of an autograph is still weird, right? Hey, can I ask you to sign your name in cursive for me? Then I'm going to put this in a shelf until I'm 37 years old and wonder, should I throw this away yet? I think I have four Tim Hardaway autographs and I want more. I want more Tim Hardaway autographs. Spreewell. I got a bunch of Warriors bench players from the early 90s on hot dog wrappers, on tickets, programs. How do you throw this away? Hey, could you even classify this as clutter? 
my Victor Alexander autograph on a hot dog wrapper, and then some good ones too, Clyde Drexler autograph, Hakeem Olajuwon. But this is before Hakeem, when he was Hakeem Olajuwon. Early days of the Rockets. Got a Detlef Schrempf. What do you got? Top that. So just a bunch of autographs. But I also had a pair of wristbands. That's right, sweaty, never washed wristbands on this shelf I called the Hall of Fame shelf from Rod Higgins. I'll never forget this moment. And I thought it was outrageous at the time. But now when I watch NBA games, I always see players walk up to the kids and give them a little something. Sometimes they give them a shoe. A lot of the times they'll give them a headband or wristbands. But when it happened to me, I was thinking, well, this is different because I wasn't even asking for Rod Higgins wristbands. Who's Rod Higgins? About six foot nine, Warriors forward, back in the day, became a GM. This is actually a good story because I went back to see Rod Higgins. There's always an annual Lakers preseason basketball game in San Diego, and they were facing the Bobcats. And Rod Higgins, I think he was the GM for the Bobcats, and I went right up to him. I had the all-access pass, and I said, hey, Rod, big fan of yours. I was a big Warriors fan back in the day, and you once gave me a wristbands, and I'm pretty sure that weirded him out. What? But it's true. Sweaty Rod Higgins wristbands were in my shelf. He walked right over to me and handed them to me. In any other context, that would be a weird thing for a grown man to do. Just walk over to a stranger, a nine-year-old kid stranger, and hand him your sweaty wristbands. But at an NBA game, when you're courtside, that is gold. It's like the most sacred gift ever. So I did not throw those away. Did not declutter. My Rod Higgins wristbands, I'll have those forever. They didn't smell too. I know you're wondering. They didn't smell. And I could go on and on and on about the crap I have accumulated over the years being a young sports fan who thought it would all be worth so much. Rod Higgins, sweaty wristbands, $5,000 or best offer. But I kept going. I kept going, trying to clean out my old bedroom which is a fun activity. If your mom or dad kept enough stuff to make it the museum of you, a historical walk of your life, you start to see things that you were into back in the day. So I found the Garbage Pail Kids. If you don't know what Garbage Pail Kids are, you're younger than me or much older than me, but I'm talking about this moment in time when Garbage Pail Kids meant a lot. I don't even know how to describe them. Just disgusting cards based on your name. But Series 1... Those, I felt like, they were going to be worth a lot. I even remember asking my mom to drive me and friends into the city to these old school card shops, trying to spend all of our money on garbage pail kids. I wonder, are they worth anything? I have some valuable ones. They're in cases. But really, they're just you know disgusting, bloody cards, these little doll-like characters, kind of looking like Cabbage Patch Kids, mutilated, destroyed, being cut up with knives or chainsaws, lots of boogers, lots of guts, lots of gore. This sounds morbid, right? I don't even know if it should have been for kids. I don't think something like that would happen nowadays. My daughter is almost 11 months. When she's like six, seven years old, I don't think I want her playing with garbage pail kids. Those will give you nightmares. They even made a movie about garbage pail kids. So I assume none of that is worth anything, but I still can't throw it away. No one's going to buy those. No collector is going to buy those, right? 99.99% sure. But that little sliver of hope makes me wonder, should I keep these? And then I kept searching, I kept searching, I kept searching. And guess what I found? Pogs. This was definitely my 
Dork stage. Pogs. Cardboard bottle caps. And I would keep them in plastic sleeves. What the fuck? This was probably eighth grade. And then you'd have a slammer, like a heavy plastic circle piece. And you'd try to slam your pogs. You'd compete with other people. They'd put their pog on top of your pog. And then you'd slam it. And if you turn both pogs over, you keep the other person's pogs and they cry. Or if they win, then you cry. Because we assumed that chagrined or limited or one with an armadillo on it was worth a lot. And we all kept our pogs in our wallets. Like this was currency for a 13-year-old. I still have these because there's a part of me that can't throw them away. I'm wondering, is there going to be somebody one day who comes to the door and says, Sir... We have a briefcase full of 500,000 crisp dollars. If you still have that slammer, that gold-plated Punisher slammer from 1994, and I'll say, oh yeah, hold on. I'll be right there, hold on. Nobody is ever going to want my autographs, my Rod Higgins sweatband, my garbage bail kids, or my pogs. Or my Playboys, my 80s Playboys. There's the weird exclamation point. I think in the late 80s, every neighborhood had a dumpster area where you would find things that you shouldn't find. We used to find Playboys, perhaps weapons, I think. Unused condoms still in the package before I think we even knew what condoms were. Is this real life? Is this podcast real life? Am I actually saying these things? Because they sound real. These memories do sound real, but now that I say them, I go, what the fuck were we doing? This dumpster was close to Juvenile Hall. It's kind of funny. In this beautiful area, all the Berry Streets and Lucas Valley, then boom, there's Juvenile Hall. And we would just walk through and go to this one dumpster, and it was like a gold mine for youngsters. A gold mine, I tell you. All right, so I didn't really declutter anything. Let's be honest. I just rearranged it. I said, yeah, we got to keep these, keep these, and yeah, we'll keep these too. And then I'll be rich one day. All right, transitioning out of that, you ever notice that there's somebody for everything? There's somebody out there who could do anything you want. I've noticed this because when you're home hunting, I guess that's the new theme of this podcast, but when you're hunting for homes, your real estate agent might say, yeah, you just got to find a chimney guy. Yeah, you just got to find an arborist. An arborist? To look at the trees? Yeah, if you get this house, it's great. You just got to find a guy who's going to put in a gas line. Yeah, just find a plumber who specializes in putting in gas lines. Yeah, just find a cabinet person. Yeah, find a guy who does carpets. Find a guy who does windows. Find a guy who does roofs. And then you just Google it or you get a recommendation. And there's a bunch of people who do all of this. Anything you want. People who frame things. People who plant things. All of these specific professions that you may only need once in your life. They're there for you. We have that many humans doing that many jobs there's a chimney guy. We even talked to a chimney guy for about 40 minutes. He knows everything about chimneys. Isn't that weird? There's somebody to do every job. That's a good thing. Maybe this is a healthy rant about the American people. Willing and able, capable and competent to do anything out there. So many of these jobs that I'm not qualified for, wouldn't even want, they exist. An arborist, a tree surgeon, someone who examines trees, When this person was eight, nine, ten years old, 
Is that what they wanted to do? Were they genetically predisposed to work with trees and understand trees, the health of trees? That job sounds so boring, but to an arborist, they would highly disagree and go, you're kidding me. You're kidding me. It's the greatest job ever. I bet there are some people who go, high school teacher, what are you doing? But to me, I go, yeah, this is what I do. This is what I like to do. This fits my skill set. Yet there are other teaching jobs that I go, oh, that looks really tough. Like science teacher, science teacher, my coworkers. I go, wow, that looks hard. Teaching these kids chemistry. I'm just projecting that chemistry was hard for me. But I was listening to Neil deGrasse Tyson. He was on the Joe Rogan podcast, which is such a good podcast. Are you kidding me? Here's a guy, Joe Rogan, that's done Fear Factor, UFC, news radio. He's a stand-up comic. But none of that even comes close to his podcast. His comedy is smart, right? Smart. His stand-up is good. It's on Netflix. He has like 20 specials on Netflix. It's all like pretty good. Like you grin a little bit. Maybe you just nod or you go, yeah, that's funny. Very George Carlin, Chris Rock, you know, social commentary that makes you go, oh, good. Very good. But for me, not laugh out loud. Ever. And I've seen Joe Rogan live three times. I always kind of just smile. He would hate to see me in the crowd because I'm enjoying myself, but I'm not exactly laughing. But his podcast, oh my God, it's one of the best podcasts in the nation. It's one of the most successful. He gets the A-listers, you know, not just talking MMA, not just talking comedy, although I like those podcasts too, but he had Neil deGrasse Tyson on and it was the most fascinating conversation. And Neil deGrasse Tyson even mentioned, he goes, our school system, we've kind of turned it into I can't wait for Friday, can't wait for summer break. And he even mentioned the song, school's out for summer, school's out for ever. But that's kind of the mindset for students. They love when the period ends, even if it was a good period. They love to run out and see their friends again. They love when school ends. They love a minimum day. They love a four-day week, a three-day weekend. They love Thanksgiving break, spring break, winter break, summer break. And all of this kind of leads you to believe, well, do they not like school? I don't know. Everybody has to answer that themselves. But Neil deGrasse Tyson was making the point, as we get older, a lot of that stuff, the subjects that are taught, are very interesting. See, he's a scientist, an astrophysicist, and he makes it so fun. He makes it so interesting. But then he says, there's a problem in schools. When kids go into a science classroom, and this was me, and they immediately anticipate they're going to be bored or it's going to be complicated or they'll be confused the whole time. So they just watch the clock. You know, molecular structure, osmosis. What, are we, what is this? Mitosis. And sure, not everybody can be taught by Neil deGrasse Tyson. But as I grow up, I am more interested in learning about history and science and deep topics. But when you're that age, perhaps when you're 15 to 18, there's just something about your mindset. I know Louis C.K. has a joke about this that's just hormones going nuts and you're feeling confined in a desk, in a classroom with 30 other sweaty teens. And it's a tough dynamic to embrace. But then you look back at a lot of the content and you go, you know, that was worthwhile content. So it's not really the teacher's fault if a student is having a terrible experience because, yeah, they're probably at an age where they just want to break free. They love the weekends. But then something happens. If you're a lifelong learner, something happens later in life where you're like, yeah, I want to keep learning. I want to keep learning. Even being a world history teacher, I had to reteach myself a lot of it. 
It's not like I just go, oh yeah, I learned all of this. Now I'm ready to teach it. No, most teachers have to reteach themselves and get comfortable with understanding the content, putting together stimulating curriculum. Then if you do it right, you can cultivate not a fan base. Cultivate a fan base that's going to come back day after day. No, it's a captive audience. They have to come back. The opposite is called truancy. But you cultivate an environment where people aren't bored. Isn't that the number one goal? Cultivate an environment where people are not bored. They're engaged. They can grasp the material along with equity and rubrics and scaffolding. Is this a job interview? I feel like I got off topic, but I'm just going to keep going with this. Oh, yeah, there's a person out there to do every job, like an arborist or a chimney guy. But I'm just going to go back to this. Education is one of those hot-button issues, hot-button topics, where everybody has their own opinion about how it should be changed, how it should be altered, how it should evolve, right? You'll never get 30 adults in the same room going, yes, this is exactly how the education system should be in this country. It feels broken in certain areas. It feels like it needs to change. It feels antiquated to some people, which is interesting because you got to wonder, well, who even set it up this way? But because it is set up this way and it all funnels into a college system that needs to see if you qualified with your grade point average and your A's and your B's and hopefully not your C's or your D's and that you're on board with the extracurriculars and you're a well-rounded Renaissance man or a Renaissance woman. And this is how a lot of people gauge success what college did you go to so it almost becomes the school game the memorization game show hey how'd you do on the game show school i did very well i got into this college but then later in life later later in life that's when you start thinking about all of the many things like critical thinking and collaboration and just the ability to think on your own deep topics you know when do you really learn how to do all of that probably in your adult years It'd be great to say, you know what? These teens, they really know how to think critically and work together. I don't know. A lot of the best students are just those. They're bright. They work hard. There's a lot of effort. But memorization for your standardized tests, that'll get you to the next level. And what Neil deGrasse Tyson was saying, that's what I was talking about. Neil deGrasse Tyson on a podcast is worth the hour. Doesn't have to be Joe Rogan. Just listen to this guy. He is probably the most intelligent human on earth. And I know that sounds like a hyperbole. But tell me someone smarter. Stephen Hawking passed away. Tell me somebody smarter than Neil deGrasse Tyson. You can't do it. I liked his views about education. And I like the fact that nobody has solved it. It keeps the discussion going. Like all of these topics. We're never just going to have resolution. You realize that. In this country, topics like immigration, criminal justice, national security, overseas policy we're never going to have like a uniform resolution where everybody goes i'm satisfied you just got to accept that but hopefully the discussion goes somewhere hopefully we can become better listeners in this country i hope i hope i hope all right i feel like i should just end it i feel like it's time to see if i got the over on the eagles and giants should i just check that right now on my phone i decided at halftime to do a podcast when i had the over at 43.5 All right, stay with me. This will be an exciting moment of the podcast. Did I get the over? All right, going to ESPN.com. Thursday night football. Now I'm starting to get nervous. By the time you listen to this, you'll already know. Oh, yeah? 34-13. Let me do some quick math. 34 plus 13, that's 47. 
I got the over, folks. All right, we're going to end on a celebratory note. I got the over. Uh, Check out my book. Go ahead. Get some fall reading in your system. Suddenly Facing Reality. Drop me a line on Twitter. Let's be Twitter friends, huh? Twitter's, Twitter's the one for me. Of all the social media platforms, Twitter's the best. And, of course, on iTunes, drop a review in there. Or just a rating. How about that? That doesn't take too much time. Just a rating. All right, that's episode 36. It is now in the books. And, yeah, I'll talk to you soon.